Why do bad things happen to good people? No idea. Um, I don't know. Wow, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> this is the way it is. This is the way the world's run. I really don't think I, I have any philosophy to answer that, actually. That's one of the mysteries of the world. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just the ebb and flow of life. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, I guess they're unlucky. Bad things happen just out of uh, coincidence and... Uh, Part of life. It's a life process. Just uh, the way life is. Probably goes all the way back to the garden. <laughs> it's human nature. There has to be a balance in the world. It's the yin and the yang. Good people need to go through obstacles in their lives to achieve what they want. So they have some bad things happen to them, they have to get through it. You almost have to, it's almost a necessary evil. Something bad has to happen to you in order for you to really value the good things that come. The world's not perfect, so we're going to be affected by things. No matter what we go through, a head injury, a divorce, a, a flunking out of college, anything, no matter what we go through, it makes it all relative to what Christ went through on the cross. Morning. morning. I want you guys to help me with something this morning. Repeat after me. God is good. God is good. All, the All the time. All the time. God is good. good. Y'all believe that this morning? Yes. It's important that you believe that with what we're going to be talking about today. If you haven't already, take out your Bibles, take out uh, your uh, smart pads, whatever you guys are going to be using for your Bibles this morning. Turn to John chapter 16. Uh, verse 33, it's on page 437, if you're using one of the Bibles you may have picked up at the door when you came in. We are continuing our series, our four-week series today called Why? We're answering some of the most common questions that people ask about God and the Bible. Um, the last couple of weeks we've covered why don't I always feel God's presence. Last week we answered the question, why didn't God answer my prayer? If you uh, were not able to be here for either of those two services, be sure to go to our website, orchardchurch.tv, and go to the message page. You can watch those and get caught up. Um, next week we'll finalize the series, finish it up with the question, why would God use me? Uh, today we're going to look at this question, which is probably the most common question that you hear people ask about God, and it goes like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Some people ask it this way. Why doesn't God seem fair? If you or somebody you know have ever asked a question like that, would you raise your hand? Raise it up nice and high. Yeah, most everybody has either had or heard that question. And you know, that's a common question even in the Bible. As you study through the Bible, you'll see men in the Bible with different people asking questions of why. It was Abraham that once asked why, God, don't you judge uh, fairly? When you judge, sometimes it doesn't seem fair. Moses asked the question, why don't you treat people as they deserve? Uh, it was Jeremiah that asked the question, why do the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to struggle? David, in the Psalms, you start reading through the Psalms, he has all kinds of why questions. He, he asks questions like, why, God, uh, don't you punish some people and you punish other people? God, why, won't, why don't you deliver me right now? Uh, God, why don't I feel your presence right now? In other words, David, many times it's like he's saying, God, why is this happening? I don't understand. It doesn't seem fair. That's our question today. Today, people ask the question like this. Why are there starving kids in the world? I'm sure you've had people ask that. I mean, if there's this all-loving, all-powerful God, then why are there starving kids? Why, why are there diseases and death? Why are there natural disasters like fires and floods and earthquakes? We've certainly had our share of some of those things here. And then to make it even more personal, you hear people ask the question, why did, and you fill in the blank, why did this happen to me? Or why did it happen to somebody I love? You know, why, why was I abused as a child? 
Or why is somebody I love, why were they abused? You know, why did my marriage not make it? Why, why is this happening to my kids? Or why are my kids doing this or that? Or why am I struggling with this health challenge? Why didn't I get the job and they got the job? Uh, why, why are my finances uh, struggling? Why can't I ever make ends meet? And sometimes we just feel like it doesn't seem quite fair. This is a very relevant question that we're addressing today in our series called Why? And a, a lot of people come to this conclusion. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, and yet things that happen that don't seem fair, then either God doesn't care or God doesn't exist at all. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are some things not fair? And I want to tell you guys a little disclaimer right now before we answer this question today. This is not going to be an easy three points and a poem message where we all hear it and then we go, oh, that made sense and that cleared up everything and now let's go to lunch. It's not that easy to answer this question. People have been trying to answer this question for a very long time. But my goal today is to point you to the one and to his word who can and will one day answer all of our questions. Amen? That's, that's my goal today. And so I want us to look at four biblical possibilities to answer that question. Why do, do bad things happen to good people? Four biblical possibilities. So I hope you'll take some notes this morning. Uh, they're there in the back of your newsletter. First possibility biblically, why does some things not seem fair? Why do bad things happen to good people is this. Maybe you're just a victim of a broken world. Sometimes when bad things happen, maybe it's just because we're a victim of a broken world. You know, this summer we went through the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God makes everything and he says everything is good, everything is great. And this is before sin and death and disease. And he, he creates this picture-perfect paradise for Adam and Eve to live in. And he basically puts two verses in the Bible. One of them is be fruitful and multiply. The other verse is don't jack up this tree. And, and they messed it up. And they disobeyed God. And, and, and in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis 1 and 2, it's, it's, everything's perfect. Everything's great. No bad things are going to happen to anybody. That's God's plan. And then in Genesis chapter 3, they disobey God and plunge all of mankind into sin and a broken world. And so now some 6,000 years later, we're, we're still living in that broken world that wasn't God's fault. It was man's fault. So sometimes bad things happen to us just because we're victims of the broken world we live in. Jesus addressed this in John chapter 16, verse 33. And Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Thank God for that. But in the world you might, is that what he says? No, you, help me church, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble in the world because he knows we live in a broken, sinful world. But be of good cheer. Here's the good news. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That Jesus doesn't say you might have trouble. He says you, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. He doesn't say you'll never get a headache. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you'll never have somebody drive by you and get upset and give you the number one sign. And they're not telling you you're number one. He doesn't say you'll never get a big zit on your nose right before prom or seeing your pictures. He doesn't say your cat will never, you know, hack up a fur ball on your brand new couch. That's why you shouldn't have cats. You should have dogs. Oh, sorry. Just to that out there. Dog, dog would never do that. They do other things. No, Jesus says you can expect some trials and tribulations and some bad things in this world because he knows we're victims of a broken world. I think we probably all can look back and say there's been some bad things that have happened in our life. Uh, I want to share one uh, event that happened to me that when it happened, I didn't understand it. I, I, I asked why God, this, why would you allow this to happen to me? 
You know, I'm a, I'm a servant of God. I'm a pastor. Well, why did this happen to me, God? And I didn't understand. It happened about 15 years ago. And a lot of our ladies here at Orchard Church just got back from our most recent ladies Orchard Church retreat. Did you go on that? Yeah. We had about 65, 70 ladies that went on that. And uh, my wife always sets that up. And some other ladies in our church. And um, every time the ladies retreat comes around, I know it's a great experience for you ladies. But it brings back a very horrifying memory to your pastor. Let me explain. Uh, 15 years ago, our children at that time were about two years old, and Caitlin was about nine, ten months old. Okay, just an infant. And Shelly was taking our church in Indiana at that time on a ladies' retreat like many of you just went on. And so it was my job and my responsibility to watch the two little ones for three days while she went on the ladies' retreat. Woohoo! All right! You know, she coached me up, gave me lists, everything. I'm like, and I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. I can handle it. I can make it. You know, and, and some of the other men in the church, they're having to do the same thing. And we had all gotten together and we said, okay, there's a couple of things. That, that we're, here's how this is going to go the next three days. We have these little ones. And a lot of the guys had, you know, little kids like I did. We said, number one, we're going we're gonna to work together. We're going to be a team, you know. We're going to hang out together. We're going to go to McDonald's together. We can do this together. And number two, no matter how bad it is, we're going to tell our wives that everything went great. No problems. I don't know what the big deal is. It, it all went fine. You know, that, that was the plan. Okay? So they're on the retreat. Now, I'm with my kids. It's the last day. Uh, she's going to be coming back with the ladies in about an hour. And, I, and things had actually gone pretty well. You know, I'd done well. I mean, the kids were still alive. It was really, everything was thinking well. And so I thought, I got this down. And right before I was supposed to pick her up, it was nap time. So I put the kids down for their nap. Now, uh, Caitlin, she, many times we put her, she's our real outspoken, creative, fun one. And she's, she's in her crib. And she would go in there. And usually she would sing for like 15, 20 minutes before she would fall asleep. And she's just talking to herself and laughing and singing. And I'm like, okay, everything's good. And then I don't hear her any longer. And I'm like, okay, she probably fell asleep. And Caleb wakes up. And so it's about 15 minutes before I got to go pick Shelly up. And I'm like, I did it. This, this is great. This went well. And so I, I hear Caitlin wake up and I hear her kind of singing and talking. And so I'm like, well, I'm just going to let her be in there and be happy. And then I'll just grab her out of the crib and we'll get in the car. And I survived. God had other plans. I opened the door to give her, and I don't want to be too graphic in church this morning, but a horrendous stench hit my nose. And my nine-month-old is singing and happy as can be, buck-naked, in the crib, looking at me. And she's just had a wonderful time. And to this day, she loves to paint and do art. And she did a little finger painting there in her room. And I'm like, I'm going to close the door and let Shelly deal with this. That was my first thought. And I thought, I can't do that. And so I get her, and you know, I'm trying to get things cleaned up, and I'm like, why did this happen to me? I can't believe this is happening to me. And then Caleb, you know, he's too, he's like, choo, choo, choo. he's like, Dad, what's, we're going, ah! And he's like, ah! And I'm like, no, we're going to go another pass. I mean, this was bad. This was a bad situation. So I finally, I get her done. I'm late. I mean, it takes me like 30 minutes, so I go to the church to pick Shelly up. It's, her and several ladies are still standing around waiting for their ride. And she's like, what, what's going on? Why, why are you late? And I tell her what happened. Hoping maybe to get just a teeny bit. 
you know, just a, just a little bit of understanding, you know, just a, just a little bit of, you know, care and concern. She dies laughing and starts high-fiving all the other ladies. Grabs my daughter, who's nine months old, she's like, oh, you took my baby, that's awesome. Yeah. Talk about a bad thing happening to a good person. Victim of a fallen world. And if that's not bad enough, I have shared with you guys that nowadays, my, my kids are teenagers, and Caitlin is 16, and my son is 18, and I, I have to give permission to share any stories about them. I have to share, I have to ask them for permission. So if that story wasn't bad enough, it cost me $20 today to tell that story. Yeah. So sometimes bad things happen because we are just victims of a broken world. I mean, it wasn't Caitlin's fault. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't Shelly's fault. It just happened. And I know that's kind of trivial, but the, the truth is sometimes things just happen because we live in a fallen world. So number one, maybe bad things happen to good people because you're a victim of a broken world. Number two, maybe, and this is a tough one, and this is hard to swallow, but, but it's biblically true. Maybe you brought it on yourself. Maybe you brought it on yourself. Maybe that bad thing was because of the bad decision that you made. In Galatians, Paul says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, he's using something physical to teach us a spiritual truth. I mean, you understand if you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. Don't plant an apple seed and expect an orange tree or a pear tree. And he, he uses this physical illustration, and here's the spiritual truth. Truth, you reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death, bad things, trouble from that sinful nature. But here's the good news. Those who live in... To please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I mean, what, what was God saying here? I mean, if you go to a party, you do your 12th beer bong, you get in your car, and you're driving drunk, and you get a DUI, and you get arrested, and it's your second time, and you get thrown in jail, and they take your license, don't be wondering, why, God, has this happened to me? Why, God, is this, I don't understand, this seems so unfair, because God is going to say to you, Thou didst, thou twelfth beer bongest, and drivest thy car, thus saith the Lord, it's your fault. Amen? You brought it on yourself. You know, some of people say, I just don't understand why I cannot financially get ahead. I don't understand why I can't make ends meet, and we're always struggling financially. And you look, and it's like, well, maybe you're drunk because you're driving that $40,000 car with a $1,000 a month car payment, and you live in an $800 apartment. Maybe you should move into the car. You know? And you're making $28,000 a year. You laugh, but it's true. You see people do it. And then they wonder why, why, God, is my life so difficult? Maybe you did it to yourself. Oh, here's one. You know, I don't understand. I'm having all these health problems. You know, I'm starting to have chest pains. Why, God, am I having chest pains? You're going to McDonald's eating Big Macs every day. You're not exercising. That, that you brought that on yourself. You know, I know. You went to the new McDonald's in Reunion and they gave a Big Mac for a week, for a year away, every week. You know, I had to do that. No, you didn't. You know, we, we bring some things on ourselves. So why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe it's because we just live in a broken world. Number two, maybe it's because you brought it on yourself. You, and, and you just have to humbly admit that, accept that, and make better decisions in the future. Number three, here's another reason. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does life sometimes seem unfair? And I like this one. Maybe God wants to do something big. 
Maybe God wants to do something. If that's for me, tell him this. Maybe God wants to do something really big in your life. And he's allowed this, what seems to be unfair, bad, difficult thing to come into your life so he can show up in your life in a big way. We've got a great example of this in a story in the, in the book of John. You're in John 16. Go back to John chapter 9 there in the Bible. John chapter 9, verse 1. John 9, 1. And we have a story of a man who had something bad happen to him since he was born. He's blind from birth. And Jesus is going to explain what's going on and why this has happened. The disciples are going to try to figure out why did this happen with this guy? What, what, what's going on? They're asking why. And chapter 9, verse 1 of John says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. He was born, born blind. And his disciples began to ask Jesus, saying, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? Was this because somebody sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? They're trying to figure out why. Was it a result of somebody's sin? A decision? And Jesus says, no, it's something different than that. Jesus answered and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Well, then what's the reason? Well, why, why, did you, why did God allow this man to be born blind? He's been, born, he's been blind all of his life. And Jesus says, it's not because anybody sinned, but that the works of God. Everybody say, works of God. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I'm about to do something really big. And he's going to understand and everybody else is going to understand why God allowed this to happen. In verse 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground. He made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. He sent him to wash. And so he went and he washed and he came back, what? Seeing. This man who had been blind since birth, I'm sure he had wondered why. I'm sure his parents had wondered why. People in his town wondered why. Why is he blind? And now Jesus shows up on the scene and maybe they understand why. Because when Jesus shows up, big things can happen. Maybe God has allowed something difficult to come into your life right now because Jesus is just around the corner and he wants to do something big in your life. He wants to show himself real and miraculous and supernatural. He wants to draw you closer to him. And you can imagine the effect that this would have had on this man, on his family, on this community. Maybe now they understood a little bit better why this thing had happened to him. And so God could do something big. You know, we just came off the story of Joseph as when we closed out the book of Genesis. And what did we see in that story of Joseph? Here's a man who was unfairly thrown into a pit, sold into slavery by his brothers. He goes through all these difficult things, but God was working behind the scenes. God allowed that to happen in Joseph's life because when we saw the end of the story, God did something big. He did something huge. He went from a pit to a palace to second in command to only Pharaoh of the whole land. And through that, Joseph was saved. His family was saved. An entire nation, we know it as the nation of Israel today, was saved. And Joseph understood at the end of that story that, you know, the things I didn't understand before, I wondered why, they didn't seem fair. He understood in the end, and he said this to his brothers. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for what, church? He meant for good. God did something really big. And God may be wanting to do something really big in your life. You have it this way in your notes. God may have a purpose in the middle of your pain. 
He never wastes our suffering. And maybe he wants to do something big just around the corner if you'll have enough faith and wait on it. Um, I know some of you have heard uh, this story. Many of you have not. So I, I like to share it every once in a while. And I think it's very applicable to what we're talking about. Where God can take something very difficult. Something that doesn't seem fair and we don't understand. And he can step into that. And he can do something huge and big for the glory of God. And in the lives of his people. Before uh, our family moved to Denver to plant Orchard Church eight years ago. I was a pastor at a small church in Indiana, in a town called Kokomo, Indiana. It sounds tropical, it is not. It's about 45 miles north of Indianapolis. And I went there as the assistant pastor. I was assistant pastor for about a year and a half. The pastor left. I became the pastor. I pastored that church for about five and a half years. Um, we saw God do amazing things. Many people come to Christ, baptized, started discipleship ministry like we have here, started discipling people. Numerically, the church tripled in size you know, over the next few years. And then we kind of hit a wall. And it was like, okay, we're not really seeing as many people come to Christ. We're not seeing new people come into the church. And some of you will understand this. This was a church that was about 60 years old. There was a lot of tradition. Uh, this will help you out. I used to preach in a suit and tie every Sunday. Some of y'all remember those days? Yeah, that is why I do not ever wear a suit and tie at your church. Because I did it for six years. And I was like, ah. And, and it was kind of traditional. And I, I realized that if we're going to be more effective to reach, you know, the next generation in our community, we're going to need to change some things. Our music and you know, our dress and our approach. And, and we started doing that. And we started seeing younger families come. And, and we're starting, what was exciting to me, we started seeing unsafe people coming to church. Not just people from another church and unchurched people. But there were some of the people in the church that didn't like that direction. They wanted to keep things the way they used to be. Even though we were reaching many more people for Christ. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And to make a long story short, I had one of the men on my staff who was one of my best friends. He felt like we needed to stay the old way. And I felt like we needed to go the new way. And I didn't realize it, but he was behind the scenes talking to some people, getting his little posse together. And I was trying to lead the church in the most effective direction. And we came to an impasse. And basically, if, if we stayed and we fought it out, we would have split the church. And our family said, we are not going to be a part of a church split. And we'll just step aside. You can leave, you know, see where God wants you to go. God must have something different for us. And we had no idea what God had for us. There was about two months of time. We were, we were just waiting on God. We were trying to decide, God, do you still want to send ministry or not? We think you do. But, man, this is the hardest thing that has ever happened to us. It doesn't, doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. We don't understand. You know, we try to be good people and serve you and this bad thing is happening to us and about two months into it I got a phone call from a church in Colorado and Shelly and I had always talked that if we ever if God ever called us to plant the church one of the top places cities on our list would be Denver, Colorado and completely out of nowhere I get this call from a church in Colorado I shared my heart with them and they said well, we certainly need more churches in Colorado and they said why don't you come be on our staff for a couple of years we'll send you up to Denver and you start and that is how Orchard Church got started eight years ago. God took took something difficult and see, yeah, we praise God for that. We praise God for that. And, and God, in the midst of something that seemed unfair and we didn't understand, God just said, hang in there, we got something big in store. And I look back and I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world at this point. So sometimes we just gotta wait on something big. Now listen, I want to be sensitive to your situation. I don't know what's going on in your life. I know some of you probably have some much more difficult things going on in your life than I've ever experienced. And I don't want to promise you that God has something big right around the corner. I'm not God. I don't know. But maybe He does. Maybe what you don't understand now and doesn't seem fair now, it doesn't make sense.
just like us, maybe God's got something big. We just have to be willing to wait on that and be patient and trust God even when we cannot trace God. And I, I think what happens a lot of times when people start going through difficulties and trials and tribulations and something bad and unfair happens, a lot of times people bail out and they miss the blessing that was right around the corner if they don't have there. Don't bail out. So why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you're just a victim of a broken world. Maybe you brought it on yourself. Maybe God has something big right around the corner. Now we talked about three maybes. Are you ready for a for sure? Let me give you a biblical for sure. When bad things happen that don't seem fair, here's what we know for sure. For sure, God is trying to do something in you, not to you. I know that for sure. Amen? God is, is trying to do something in you when you go through those bad and difficult times, not to you. James said it this way, James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. It's one of those passages we kind of love to hate. Ooh, there's part of it we love and there's part of it that we hate. It's hard to swallow, but it's so true. James says, dear brothers and sisters, that's, that's believers in Jesus Christ, when troubles come your way, notice James didn't say if troubles come your way. It's not a matter of if troubles will come, but when. when. We all know this to be true. When troubles come your way, those bad things that don't seem fair, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'm in the middle of this bad, unfair, difficult thing. Yay, God! <laughs> you see, there's a difference between biblical joy and the world's happiness. Happiness is based upon circumstances around us. Joy is based upon what Jesus does in us. And we, even in trials and tribulations and things that don't seem right and fair, we can have joy. We can count it joy. Now, I'm glad James doesn't leave us hanging right there. He explains it. He says, here's how it's an opportunity for great joy. Because here's what happens in you whenever bad things are happening as a believer. You know for sure that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Isn't that true? You can know that for sure. And there can be joy in the midst of trials and tribulations and things that don't seem fair because it's a chance for your faith to grow. It's a chance for God to do something in you. He's not trying to do something to you. That's what our enemy wants us to believe. Why is God doing this to you? He's doing something in you. And I believe this to be true of all of us in this room this morning. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, I think we can all identify with this truth. That we can all look back in our life to something that was really bad, that seemed unfair and difficult in the past, that we didn't like, we didn't understand. But we look back at it now and we say, the truth is that made me stronger. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. yes. That, that made me stronger. That made me better. It, and for some of you as believers, you'd say, that drew me closer to God than I've ever been before. I bet for some of you, if you think back to the time in your life where you were the closest to God, it was during a trial and a difficulty. And God used that to do something in you, not to you. And I know we would all say, you know, I would never choose that for me or someone else. I would not choose that, but God used that. He used that to do something in me. Let me give you an example of this. Some of you know this story some of you do not. When we started Orchard Church um, out of our living room apartment eight years ago, when we, we were in that apartment complex, one of the things that we were doing as a church to try to meet new people, and we didn't know anybody. We moved here, no family, friends, nothing. We didn't know anybody. 
So we were basically like social directors at our apartment complex. And we would hold like cookouts and pancake breakfasts and things like that, pool parties to try to meet people. And, and many of the first people that came to Orchard Church came through that ministry opportunity. And uh, I think we we're about a month old and there were about 15, 20 of us. We were just a small group in our living room. And we were having a pancake breakfast at the apartment complex on a Saturday morning. And we were, we were about 50, 60 people had come through. We were cleaning up. It was time to go. Our son at that time, Caleb, was playing flag football. We, we had a game to get to. So we, had, we just about put everything away. And this young man walked into the clubhouse at that apartment complex. He was in his late 20s. And he's like, looking around, he's like, I smell pancakes. And we were like, yeah, yeah, we had a pancake. He was, oh, looks like you guys are done. And I wanted to say for a moment, yeah, we're done. We'll probably do this again in a month and, and send him away. But something in my spirit, in my heart said from God, I believe it was absolute God, I said, give this guy some pancakes. This is a providential God moment. Don't miss it. And I said, no, it's okay. I said, I said we fixed you up. And so we fixed him a few pancakes. And I got to talking to him. His name was Jamie Johnson. And I got to talking to him and, um, his family had just moved here from Minnesota. They didn't know anybody either. They had three very, two young children at that time. They would have a third. His wife was pregnant. And um, we, we made a connection immediately. And we made plans to get together with their family. And we had dinner. And we became best friends. They, they said, we're looking for it. We told, we told them what we were doing. They said, why did you guys move here? We said, we're trying to plant a church. And they said, we're looking for a church. And they said, he said, I grew up in church, but I haven't been in church in a long time. My wife didn't even grow up in church or a Christian home, but, but we'd really like to get our kids and our family in church. And so they started coming. I mean, the very next week, they started coming to our Bible study. Jamie ended up being one of my right-hand men. I mean, he was the setup team back there. He was, I mean, he, he came, he drove the trailer. Uh, him and his wife were integral in the, the early days of our church. And I remember a couple of months into our relationship, they were at our house, and his wife's name was Gabrielle. We called her Jamie. And um, we were sitting at our kitchen table. I remember like it was yesterday. And out of nowhere, Gabe says, you know, I love this church, but I, I'm not like everybody else here. And we said, Gabe, what, what do you mean? She said, I'm not like everybody else. And we said, well, how are you not like everybody else? And we were trying to encourage her. She goes, well, I know about Jesus. I know about God, but I don't really know Jesus like you guys know Jesus. I hear you guys talk about this personal relationship with Jesus. And I don't, I don't have that like everybody else. And we said, well, Gabe, would you like to? And she's like, yeah, I, I absolutely would. And we had the privilege to lead her to Christ right there at our table in, in our kitchen. And then my wife went on to disciple her. I went on to disciple Jamie. They went on to disciple other people. Man, we saw them grow. It was a life-changing experience for them and their family. And one of Gabe's prayer requests, when we would take prayer requests, she would always say, pray for my family. Pray for my friends back home in Minnesota because none of them know Christ. And that was, that was her, her biggest prayer. I want to see my friends and my family come to Christ because she had this heart of evangelism. And so we prayed for that. And then one day, about four years ago, on a Wednesday morning, I got a phone call from someone in our church that was driving by the Johnson's house. And they said, there's an ambulance out in front of the Johnson's house. Do you know what this is about? And I said, no. And, and they said, yeah, we don't either. And so I said, I'm going to find out. I jumped in my car as quick as I could. Shelly and I, we went, we went over there, and a police officer met us at the door. And he said, do, do you know this lady? I said, yeah. And he said, yeah. She said, we're like best friends. She said, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but she passed away. 
in the night. She had laid down on the couch to watch a movie and never woke up. Her husband, James, an airline pilot, and he was gone on a two-day trip and he wasn't in town. And she, at 32 years of age, fell asleep on the couch, never woke up, left three little kids behind. And to this day, autopsies and everything done, nobody knows other than God wanted her. And God took her. And I had the opportunity, and I would even say the honor and privilege, to do both of her memorial services. One of them was in here at Prairie View High School. This place was packed out. We flew up to Minnesota. I did another one. And God is my witness, and some of you were there. Between those two memorial services, those people hearing the testimony of Gabe's life, over a hundred people raised their hand to receive Christ. Now listen, I would never choose for Gabe to die at 32. But I can tell you this, God used it in my life, in Jamie's life, in our church's life. It pulled us together during that time. It, our faith grew. And to this day, God still continues to use that story in that life. Because we look back and we go, you know what? If we had only come to Denver and even if Gabe was the only one that accepted Christ, it was worth it. Because you never know. And here's the truth. In a supernatural way, the more pain we endure, the more faith that we need. And the more our faith and dependence on God is built. Because God wants to do something in us, not to us. And when you walk through life long enough holding the hand of God, you learn that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. I want to close with this thought. You know, we can be so quick to ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But listen to what I'm about to say. Listen. That is a flawed question. Because when I read the Bible, Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul says in Romans 7.18, there's no good thing that dwells in our flesh. And I realize, biblically, I'm not a good person. I'm a bad person. I'm a sinner that's been saved by grace. So instead of asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I think there's a better question we ought to also ask. And it's this. Why do good things happen to bad people? And when I say bad people, I'm not talking about the murderer, the rapist, all that. I'm talking about bad people like me. A sinner saved by grace. Bad people like you who have been saved the same way. You see, here's the true church. Something bad only happened to someone truly good one time. And he volunteered for it. And his name is Jesus. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we don't have to ask, why do bad things happen to good people? The gospel, which means good news, is this. That good things happen to bad people because of Jesus. What are those good things that happen to bad people? Salvation, forgiveness, grace, mercy, redemption, adoption, love, acceptance, heaven, eternal life with God. That's what happens to bad people. And so when we're tempted to say God is not fair, let me surprise you with this. He's not. But he is absolutely just. God is not fair. And I'm glad he's not fair. Because if God was fair, he would give all of us what we deserve because of our sins. And thank God for Psalm 103, verse 10, that says this. He does not punish us for all our sins. Can I have an amen? amen? He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. 
For his unfailing love toward those who fear him, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. God is not fair. God is just. God is good all the time. Help me, church. And all the time, God is good. Can we celebrate that this morning? Bow your heads with me this morning. Heads bowed for just a moment as we reflect on God's word this morning, this message. I realize that there are many of you here this morning that are going through something right now that you don't understand. That doesn't seem fair. That's very difficult. And I am very aware and sensitive to that. Some of you I know personally what's going on. Some of you I don't know, but God does. Can I pray for you right now? Would you slip up your hand for prayer and say, that's me. I'm going through something right now. I don't, it doesn't seem fair. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm, going, I'm just going through a trial. I'm going through a difficult. Raise your hand nice and high. Raise them up. Let me, let me pray for you, folks. Let me pray for your hands in every section. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged by the word this morning. That when bad things happen to us, that we might understand the biblical possibilities. That, that one, maybe it's just we're a victim of a broken world. And that until we're with you in heaven... There's going to be trials and tribulations. But we know that one day when we're with you, you'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Lord, I pray for those that are going through trouble right now. And, and I know it's hard to swallow, but maybe they just need to humbly admit they brought it on themselves. If they've made a decision that's not pleasing you, that they would ask for forgiveness. And we know you'll give it to them. Help them to make better decisions moving forward. Lord, help some of them to understand that they're going through something difficult. They don't understand it doesn't seem fair right now. But, but maybe just around the corner, just maybe, you have something really big in store. Something supernatural. That they would hang in there. That they wouldn't bail out. They wouldn't give up. They would wait for you to arrive and step into their life like you did the blind man in John chapter 9. And for sure, with all of those going through difficulties... And for those of us that aren't right now, but will in the future, for sure, help us to embrace the fact that you are doing something in us and not to us. And that we would believe that your grace is sufficient and that it's through those opportunities that we can grow in our faith and grow stronger and closer to you. Well, that's about nice close. Maybe there's some of you this morning who say, I've never received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Let me tell you again, something bad only happened to someone good one time, and his name is Jesus. And he volunteered for that bad thing called the cross to save you, to forgive you of your sins, and to give you eternal life. Are you willing to accept that gift today by faith? There's some of you here this morning, and I believe this all in my heart. God has allowed some difficulties to come into your life and some troubles and things you don't understand because He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to wake you up. He's trying to tap you on the shoulder and say, I'm here. I'm here. Allow me to be a part of your life. I'm not going to force my way in, but invite me in. I'll forgive you. I'll save you. And I will walk with you. My grace will be sufficient. I'll give you my joy. The good news is this, listen, no matter who you are or what you've done, there's no sin that's unforgivable. That there's nothing too great for God. On the cross, He died for all our sins. And He doesn't want to punish you, as Psalm says. He wants to remove your sin as far as the beast is from the rest. Are you ready for that? If you are, with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I, want to, I just want to lead you in a prayer 
that you can express in faith from your heart to God's right now to invite Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Now listen, it, it's not some magic prayer. It's not some magic words that you say. It's your faith behind this prayer. It's what you, you believe in your heart. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Call the name of the Lord. And so if you're ready to pray that prayer of faith from your heart to God's right now, and you can do that right where you sit. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood to pay for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Past, present, and future. Come into my life. By faith, I accept you today. As my personal Lord and Savior. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I want to know. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I pray in the days ahead, I will grow to love you and follow you in this journey we've begun together today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around for a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but listen, if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I want to pray for you. I want to acknowledge that. I want to celebrate your decision today. The heads bowed nice. Would you slip up your hand if that's you today? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time to invite Jesus into my life. Thank you. God bless you, man. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Anyone else? Slip it up. Put it down. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith today, and I meant it to invite Jesus in. Anyone else? Thank you. Several hands. Father, thank you for those that are making the decision to invite you into their life today. I pray that their life will never be the same. Lord, I pray that we would meet them the way you meet them, right where they are, that we love them and accept them, and we would help them to grow in the days ahead, closer to you. In your word, help us to disciple them and help them to grow in maturity. Lord, thank you. We celebrate their decisions today. We welcome them in to the family of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you, God, that you are good all the time and all the time. You are good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Listen, if you, yeah, we can celebrate. Yeah. Uh, we can celebrate.